we develop a whole set of theology around this idea of closed and open doors. Have you ever, you ever heard this? Or maybe you've even said it. Well, there was just a closed door. As if, as if a closed door means that it's not God's will. And as if every open door must be God's invitation to you. Anybody ever, ever felt this way or heard somebody say this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So sometimes we find that when a door is opened and we go through it, we look back and we say, I'm not so sure God opened that door. Maybe it was a relationship you got involved in and looking back you thought, well, that sure was easy at the beginning, but it sure didn't end up being God's will. Maybe it was a job and it looked perfect and it was the right amount of money and so you thought, oh, I can take that job. And so you took the job, but then looking back you realize Not sure that was God's will. Maybe it was a move of some kind. Every open door does not always mean that it's God's will for you. And every closed door doesn't mean that it's not God's will for you. There are some times and many examples throughout the entire Bible where people come against a closed door only to discover that God expects them to knock on it. And to continue knocking on it. And to be persistent. Because sometimes closed doors is an excuse for us to avoid persisting in faith. Enduring in suffering. Sometimes a closed door becomes our excuse to take the easy way out and do what it is that we want to do. We see this throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Where every closed door may not mean that God is not just on the other side. I wonder in your life if you're facing a closed door. I wonder if you have maybe been beating on the door for a while and maybe have begun to give up and say, well, maybe maybe this isn't God's will. But what if it is? What if God is just on the other side of the door and he's just waiting on you to be persistent enough in your faith and to be committed enough to trust That his love for you is enduring, that you will keep knocking and he will be faithful to answer the door. We've been following the story of a lady in the Old Testament. Her name is Ruth. You can find her story in the book of Ruth. Uh, If you follow along from the beginning of the Bible, if you get to 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, you've gone too far. You can back up from there and find Ruth right after the book of Judges. Ruth has faced lots of closed doors. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite woman. She was a foreigner. She wasn't a Jew. Uh, But there was a woman named Naomi and her family who had moved to Moab. And Naomi's husband died shortly after they got there. Naomi's two boys married two Moabite women and Ruth was one of them. And the two boys soon died, leaving just the three widows, uh, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And they decided to set back out for Bethlehem because they had heard that there was uh, food there again. There had been a famine, and that's why the family had originally left. But now there was food, and they decided they were going to return to Bethlehem. One of the daughters-in-law stayed in Moab, but Ruth was committed. She said, no, I'm going with you, Naomi, when it didn't make any sense. But Ruth had seen in her mother-in-law a love that she had never experienced before. She had heard about this God, this God of Israel, whose love was enduring and persevering. And and she'd seen that play down in her mother-in-law's life, and she was attracted to it. So much so that it changed her life. And she committed herself, not just to her mother-in-law, but to her mother-in-law's people and to her mother-in-law's God. So the two women went back to Bethlehem. But when they got to Bethlehem, there was no food, another closed door. 
And so rather than sitting around and waiting for somebody to take notice of their hunger and their need, Ruth did what needed to be done. She got up and she went out into the fields where she began to glean. Now gleaning was a practice in this day and age where the poor people in the town would come to a field that was being harvested and they would pick up what was left over behind the harvesters in order to feed their family. And so Ruth had wandered into a field uh, of, owned by a man named Boaz. Now, Naomi, her mother-in-law, had no idea where Ruth was going, and Ruth had no idea who Boaz was. But God was at work. Behind all these closed doors, God was at work. And so at the end of that first day, Boaz had taken notice of this hard-working Moabite woman. He had heard her commitment to Naomi. He had seen the, the commitment of this foreigner who had come and demonstrated such incredible love. And so as she was leaving for the day, he just piled her up with more grain. And she went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And that's where we pick up the story. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to uh, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Ruth chapter 2, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, Naomi wasn't just saying this because Boaz had offered them food, but because Boaz actually fulfilled for their family a significant role, a role that was written into the law of the Jews. Uh, the, the title, the Hebrew title for this role is called the goyal. Everybody say goyal. Goyal, it's just fun to say. A goyal was somebody, a, a goyal was somebody, a member of a clan who was charged with rescuing family members who were in trouble. They were called upon to redeem family members who had to be sold into slavery. They were called upon to buy back land that family members may have had to sell because they'd come on hard times. They were called upon to avenge the wrongful deaths of family members, to provide defense for family members in court, to restore property. This person owns the problem of the family. Now, we don't have official goyles in our culture today, but I bet if you think about your family, you know somebody in your family who serves the role of a goyle, don't you? Somebody who is the redeemer of the family. Somebody who always seems to take responsibility. Somebody who steps up to the plate, even when it's not their problem. And they rescue people. And they do this because it's just the right thing to do. So Naomi's talking to Ruth and says, he's our redeemer. He's one of the people who can rescue us and save us and transform us. And so Naomi tells Ruth, listen, don't go to anybody else's field. Don't go anywhere else. Just stay in Boaz's field. Go work in Boaz's field every day. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth just continued to do every day what she did that first day. 
She got up early before the sun rose. She went into the field and she worked right along with the other workers of Boaz, picking up the extra, picking up what was dropped and what was left behind so that she could feed her mother-in-law. And this is the end of the barley season, which tells us that about three months have passed. This whole time, Ruth just continues to work. But now the harvest is coming to an end and winter's coming. And Naomi begins to worry, what are we going to do now? Because we're not going to be able to continue to go and pick up the extra that is being harvested. There's not going to be a harvest anymore. And then what are we going to do? Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Desperate times are calling for desperate measures. And Naomi remembers what it was like to be hungry. And she doesn't want to be hungry again. And so she develops a plan. And she suggests that her daughter-in-law do something that to any outside observer would have looked very much like prostitution. And Ruth does what her mother-in-law asks her to do. Because things were getting desperate. And Boaz had been gracious, and Boaz had provided, but Naomi recognized that Boaz is our redeemer, and he hasn't redeemed us. He's continued to provide for us day by day, but what about tomorrow? What's going to happen when winter comes? Is he going to continue to be faithful to us? Is he going to continue to provide for us? What will we do then? Why hasn't he offered to marry Ruth? That's what the Goyle does. He's obligated by the law to marry the widow of a family member who's died, leaving no descendants. Why hasn't Boaz acted? What would happen next? What would happen when the crops were gone? And desperation drives Naomi to suggest something that was unthinkable. And it drives Ruth to accept a dangerous mission. If she had been recognized, if she had been discovered, she could sacrifice her reputation And possibly her life. And while Ruth and Naomi had come to trust Boaz, there was no way that they could be absolutely sure how he would respond to this situation. What would he say? Would he accuse Ruth of loose morals? Would he take advantage of Ruth? Would he understand the desperation of Naomi and Ruth and respond the way that Ruth hoped he would? And Ruth did exactly what her mother-in-law said, and she found Boaz sleeping in the barn. He'd been working all night, working to bring in the harvest, and as he fell asleep, she comes in and she lays down at his feet, and she uncovers his feet. And then he wakes up. Something stirs him in the middle of the night. And he looks down and he sees a strange form laying there, and here's what he says in verse 9. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you 
are a redeemer. Spread your wings over a servant. That's an unusual word. Uh, see, a wing in Hebrew, the, the word is really kanaf, and, and uh, it's a corner of a, of a garment or a corner of a blanket. Uh, it's the same word for wing as it is for a corner of a blanket. And, and the idea was take your blanket and spread it over me. See, Boaz had already told Ruth that her faithful love for Naomi had guaranteed that God would protect her. Remember back in chapter 2, he said that you are under the wing, under the corner of God's garment. God is protecting you, Ruth, because of what you've done for Naomi. But Ruth is not asking. She's demanding to Boaz. Boaz, spread your wings. Be the answer to the prayer that you prayed for me. You prayed that God would protect me. And winter is coming, and things are getting desperate, and doors are closing. Boaz, be the answer to the prayer that you prayed. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Take me under your protection. You be the hands and feet of God's protection in my life. And then she must have felt like an eternity passed while she waited on his response. What would he do? Would he... Would he accuse her of loose morals? Would he take advantage of her in that, in that moment and, and, and just use her for the evening? What would he do in that moment? And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer who is nearer than I. Boaz looked at her and he knew. He knew exactly what was going on. Because he recognized hesed. That's what the word kindness means in verse 10. He said, this last kindness, this last act of hesed, your act of desperation, your willingness to do what your mother-in-law suggested, even when it didn't make sense, because you love with a determined love, a stubborn love, a love that would not give up. It's a greater kindness than you've ever displayed. Your character and your integrity are shining through, and they framed everything that you've done tonight. He knew that she wasn't offering herself in that way. He knew what she was really asking. He said, the whole town knows that you're a worthy woman. The Hebrew phrase translated worthy woman is only used here and one other place in the entire Bible. Proverbs chapter 31, where the Proverbs writer ends Proverbs by by talking about a, a worthy woman who can find, that she's more precious than rubies, and that it ends like this, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And the only woman in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, who carries that same title is Ruth. In some old copies of the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth actually comes right after Proverbs chapter 31 because Ruth is the example of the virtuous woman told about in Proverbs. Boaz also reveals something else to Ruth. Boaz reveals to Ruth the reason why he has not acted sooner. He says, Ruth, listen, it wasn't my place. 
It's not that I've just been sitting around not doing anything, not concerned about you and Naomi. It wasn't my place. He was a man of integrity, which is why Ruth entrusted herself to him in the way that he did. She knew that he would not take advantage of her or misunderstand her. Boaz did not buy into the idea that there was some easy way out. He didn't skip the parameters and the boundaries that God had set up. He said, there's another redeemer who's closer than I am, Ruth. That's the reason I didn't act. There was a closed door. And I understood that God had closed that door. And yet Ruth came to a closed door and understood that her hope was just on the other side of the door. What do we do with closed and open doors? Let let me just share a couple of ideas with you that hopefully will help you as you face closed and open doors. The first one is this, trust the boundaries God's love has established for you. God's love has established parameters and boundaries in every one of our lives. Psalm 16, 5 and 6 says, Lord, your boundary markers for me have fallen in pleasant places. We have to understand that God has set up parameters for us because he loves us. Boaz knew this. He understood this. That's why he wouldn't take advantage of Ruth. That's why he wouldn't skip the fact that he wasn't the next in line to redeem Ruth and the property that her husband and her father-in-law had owned. Boaz was committed to doing the next right thing even when it meant restraint. Some of you find yourself with parameters and boundaries. Maybe it's a family member who's sick And you're finding yourself in a position now where you're having to provide care for them. And you keep thinking that just past this season of life, there's something better for you. When in fact, God's will for you may be to live within the boundary marker of that family member who needs you right now. Maybe for some of you, it's a job opportunity that's come your way. And yet you've got young kids at home who need you, and the job's going to require you to travel, and it's going to require you to be gone a lot, a long time. Meanwhile, your kids are growing up, and they may not get to know you, and you may have to say no to the closed door because of the parameters that God has put in your life in the form of your children. God sets boundaries up for us, and when we understand where those boundaries are and we're willing to live within the confines of those boundaries, God's blessing waits for us in that place. Do the next right thing. Trust the boundaries of God's love, but don't underestimate the reach of God's love. This is what Ruth did. She understood God has been faithful to me, and he will continue to be faithful to me. I can reach out in desperation and knock on this door because God has provided and will continue to provide for me. Every closed door may just be your next opportunity to prove God's faithfulness in your life. I love what Paul says in Romans eight thirty eight: For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If life and death and angels and powers and demons and heights and depths can't separate you from God's love, a closed door can't separate you from God's love either. Ruth understood that. God's love for you is Hesed love. It's a tenacious love. It's a love that won't give up on you. So don't you give up on it. Never, never, never give up. 
because God hasn't given up on you. I, I love throughout the course of the New Testament, there are so many examples of people who, who are doorbusters. I don't just mean they shop on Black Friday. I mean, I mean they're doorbusters. There are closed doors in front of them, and Jesus looks at them and sees faith in the fact that they're not willing to back down from a closed door. There was a paralyzed man who had four friends who heard that Jesus could heal their friend, and so they carried this man all the way to Jesus. They get to the house. The house is surrounded by people. There's no way to get to Jesus. They could have said, well, that door's just closed, but they didn't. They went around the back and they climbed up on the roof and they dug a hole through the roof. And when the door wouldn't open, they tore the house down to get their friend to Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, their faith has made you well. There's another story Jesus told in Luke chapter 11 of a persistent neighbor. So They had unexpected company. And they didn't have enough food in their house, so they went next door and they knocked on the door all night long. And the neighbor said, I'm sleeping, come back tomorrow. And the neighbor kept knocking on the door till finally, just to get the neighbor to be quiet, the man came down and opened the door and gave the neighbor what they needed. And, and, and Jesus said, that's the kind of faith you need. Don't give up when the door is closed. He told another story about a woman who was in need of justice. The problem was the judge in the town was a wicked judge. But the woman would not relent. She continued to pester the judge day in and day out and day in and day out until even the wicked judge did the right thing just to get the woman to shut up. Because she wouldn't take no for an answer. Jesus looks at these examples. He says, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for. A faith that doesn't shy away from closed doors. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes love and it says love is patient and love is kind and it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and it goes on and on, all these things that it does. And at the very end it says love never fails. It never fails. That God's love for you will not give up. It is unrelenting. So don't you give up on it. Don't you walk away. When God is just waiting for you to continue to knock. There's another story in Luke chapter 8 of someone who was persistent. A a woman who um, saw Jesus in his caravan. They were going from one place to another. Jesus had an important mission to go to the home uh, of a Roman official. And the crowd was walking by and this poor woman had been desperate. She had uh, been bleeding for, for 12 years And she'd gone to all the doctors. They'd all taken advantage of her. She hadn't been able to find any healing. But she'd just heard, she'd heard, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch the corner of his robe, I know that I will be made well. See, she understood that in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, there was a promise that said when the Messiah would come, he would come with healing in his wings. Healing in his kanaf. This Jewish prayer shawl, um, while not exactly what Jesus might have had on that day, is, is certainly very similar. And any rabbi walking around would have, would have worn it. And the corners, the corners, the kanafs, they would hold like this, and when they would give their blessing, they would hold it up. And they would look like they had Wings. As they'd hold the kanaf, the corner. And she knew if I could just touch the corner of his garment, I'll be made well. And so she fought her way through the crowd. 
She was unclean. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. If any of the Jewish officials had seen her, she could have been punished. She could have been persecuted. She could have been killed even for the fact that she would have made everybody that she brushed up against unclean just by touching her. And yet she was so committed. She was so committed to continuing to knock on the door. If I could just touch the corner, if I could just find safety under the shadow of his wings, I'll be made well. Sounds like Ruth, doesn't it? Ruth and Boaz. And so she came and she touched the corner of Jesus' garment. And Jesus felt the power go out of him, the Bible tells us. And the woman was instantly made well. Because she had the faith not to give up. She had the faith to knock on a door. When the door was closed. And Jesus was just on the other side. And in the shadow of Jesus' wings, she found healing. And when Boaz said to Ruth, Ruth, there's another redeemer, he wasn't just talking about somebody else who lived in Bethlehem. He was talking about one who would come to Bethlehem, who would be the redeemer for all mankind. This same Jesus, who would later tell his disciples, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Read this next part with me. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I wonder this morning if you've walked away from a closed door. If you're just weary and tired. And maybe in your exhaustion, you finally reach the point of desperation where you will act in a a faith in God's hesed love for you and reach out and take hold of the corner of his garments and know that there's healing in the shadow of his wing. There's protection, there's wholeness, there's wellness. You know, we're not the only ones who knock on doors. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Maybe, maybe you're standing on the inside of a locked door that's waiting on you to open it for Jesus. He says, If anybody will open that door, I will come in and we'll be together. And I'll bring you under the shadow of my wings. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? We're going to have a time of commitment and invitation. We'll stand together and sing. But before we do that, I just want to invite you in these few moments that we have here just to consider the opened and closed doors in your life. Every open door is not God's invitation and every closed door is not God's rejection. What God is inviting you to is to live a life of faith that seeks him above all things. Father, this morning as we come, we ask that you'd reveal yourself to us. That we wouldn't be distracted by open and closed doors, but we would know your voice. Father, we would hear you and we'd respond to you. 
And Lord, for those who are here today, who find themselves in difficult and even desperate situations, and every door seems closed, Father, I pray for them the faith of Ruth, the faith of that unnamed woman who pressed through the crowd to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Lord, today, would you give them the faith to just reach out? And Lord, for those of us who are standing behind closed doors that are locked from the inside, may today we unlock that door and invite you in that you could take your proper place on the throne of our life. Lord, we love you. We pray that you'll move in this time of invitation and reflection. We pray it in the powerful name of the one who has healing in his wings, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.